This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women and addiction. Welcome back to the Worth Recovery Podcast. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. I am a sex addict and I have been sober since December 2nd of 2012. And it's February and it's close to Valentine's Day. And so you can imagine maybe what we're going to talk about today um, in our podcast episode. Maybe, maybe you can imagine that. Maybe not. It's okay. Um, But I'm excited to be with you and talk a little bit about relationships today. Um, And particularly, I want to talk about what we call courtship. Maybe that's a new word to you. Maybe that's an antiquated word to you. I don't know. But we're going to talk a little bit about it today. Because one of the, I, I mean, I talk a lot about the common questions that I get asked. But one of the questions I get asked quite a bit is about dating. Um, am I dating? Who am I dating? How is that going in my life? Um, and that's one of my areas of my life that I do keep uh, mostly off the podcast, if not completely off the podcast, because, you know, you got to have some things that you are able to keep private, private and be able to work on without being in display of the public. So that's one of those areas. So I'm not going to answer that question today. But I do want to talk about relationships and particularly about dating and the stages of dating and relationships and and things like that. When I first entered recovery or yeah, when I got into into recovery, my therapist almost immediately had me start a workbook called Facing the Shadow. And it's a workbook that's written by Patrick Carnes, Dr. Patrick Carnes, who is probably what's also known as the father of sex addiction recovery in the fact that he, most of his writings, most of his research, most of his work is the first kind of written work and the first research that we have about sex addiction and how it shows up and what it looks like and how we can successfully recover from sex addiction. In this workbook, there are these beautiful five pages I guess it's six as I turn it right here, six pages um, in a section called Courtship Gone Awry. Courtship Gone Awry. And I'm going to read you just a paragraph, a couple paragraphs here about what he means by courtship gone awry. So he says, quote, this is, well, on my version, because I have an older edition. This is the second edition, but it's on page 73. It's in chapter three. But he says, implicit in most compulsive sexual patterns is a distortion of normal courtship. I'm going to read that one sentence again. Implicit in most compulsive sexual patterns is a distortion of normal courtship. For example, he says, it is very normal even for children to play, quote, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. It is normal to be curious about your partner's body and pleasurable to have your body examined. As you grow, as you learn how to handle that part of getting to know someone appropriately. Exhibitionists and voyeurs, however, have become stuck 
in this one part of courtship. They have become so focused on this phase that it becomes more pleasurable than the rest of the courtship. In other words, courtship has gone awry. Does that make sense? Courtship has gone awry. He goes on, one problem is that there is no systematic and reliable way in our culture to learn the basics of courtship. You probably never attended a course that taught you how to appropriately and successfully flirt. Courtship failure can mean that you start repetitive patterns because that because what you do does not work. So again, on that sentence because I messed it up. Courtship failure can mean that you start repetitive patterns because what you do does not work. So it is important to learn the basic elements of courtship. Here are the 12 components to courtship. We're going to go through all 12 in just a second. This to me, <laughs> when I started recovery, in fact, I'll read you what I wrote about it because it's kind of embarrassing. It says, so like a few pages later, you have to reflect on this, right? So it says, I always knew I couldn't date and now I finally know why. I never knew before that there were stages of relationships or courtship. This is totally fascinating. And then I kind of write some things that I've learned, like I'll just give you the top three. One, I don't emotionally connect with people. That's true. I, I didn't do that. Two, I always think rejection is around the corner and I'm constantly bracing for rejection. And three, I simply don't trust people. And then I go on and talk about other things and other things that I've learned in, in doing this courtship inventory. But I don't, I don't know how you feel, but to me, again, I was, uh, let's see, how old am I now? So I was like 35 when I entered recovery, 34, 34, something like that, when I entered recovery. And at 34, I was just learning about these kind of stages of relationships for the first time. And, and again, I don't, I don't think that Patrick Carnes, Dr. Carnes really knows how amazing this is and how important this is to sex addiction recovery that we have these kind of template of how we, how do relationships develop and the different stages and the different, um, components to an actual healthy courtship of getting to know someone and then building a partnership and a relationship with them. If that's an area that you struggle in, oh man, this is the only place you can find this information. I think you, you can Google it and it will show up in some places, but there's not like a book. There should be a book just about this part uh, to help us really understand how these things work. It's something in with my clients, both in coaching and in um, therapy that I'll spend a lot of time on when we're ready because we don't really understand that. Now, even if you're married, I don't want you to tune out here because these are still stages that you might be caught in. You might be acting out with your partner or spouse. Um, also, you need to continue to have some of these stages continue throughout relationships, whether you're getting to know them at the beginning or whether it's been in a relationship for a long time. So I thought this would be a great topic for us to kind of go through these 12 stages of courtship as we get ready for Valentine's Day. It's so funny. I've seen a lot of memes posted recently, like let's cancel Valentine's Day and have second Halloween or some people, let's cancel Valentine's Day and have second Thanksgiving, I think some of them have said. It's interesting to me how Valentine's Day 
is so hated among the masses. But also, I'm wondering if that's because we don't understand really how relationships work. I mean, there's lots of lots of issues there with Valentine's Day. But let's talk about it. Let's talk about courtship. So again, he tells us courtship failure can mean that you start repetitive patterns of behavior because what you have been doing does not work. Right. So these 12 stages. The first one is what we call noticing. So the first stage is noticing. This is the ability to notice attractive traits in others. When an existing, with an existing partner, this means the ability to stay conscious of the desirable traits in that partner. This dimension requires the capacity to filter out traits that, while desirable, are not a good match for you. In other words, noticing also means discriminating. So, how good are you at noticing, right? In the book, there's like an activity where you go through and you rate yourself between 1 and 10, low is one, 10 being high on your ability to notice. I think the piece that, I mean, in my experience with those that have maybe addictive behaviors, noticing maybe isn't the problem. Uh, you can notice that someone's attractive, but there's a couple other pieces to noticing that is, is important. For instance, you can you notice is an internal um, behavior. I internally notice. I don't externally notice. I don't make comments, right? I don't walk around saying things like, wow, you look great today. If, if that's not an appropriate uh, exchange between that person, right? Um, also, noticing means discriminating. So I might notice that someone's attractive, but then I also notice that they have a ring on and I don't make inappropriate uh, passes or attempts for connection with someone who is unavailable, right? I discriminate because while they f might be attractive, it's not a good match for me because they're in a relationship and I'm not, right? So that's not a good match. So noticing is important, but also so is that filtering, that discriminating on whether what you're noticing is appropriate, what you're, you know, and whether that's a good match for you as far as courtship or relationships go. Are you stuck in noticing? Here are some of the questions that they ask to kind of help you understand what that, how that works. Do you notice attractive traits in others? Are you able to keep noticing them with a current partner even years after being together? Are you able to recognize attractive traits and decide that they are not a good match for you or inappropriate for you to pursue? Good questions, right? Okay, noticing. Number two, attraction. And the definition is, this is the ability to feel attraction towards others and imagine acting on those feelings. Imagine, imagine acting on those feelings. This dimension assumes a functional arousal map or arousal template in which you select behaviors and persons appropriate for you. Attraction involves curiosity, as well as desire about the physical, emotional, and intellectual traits of others. In an existing relationship, it means the ability to maintain an openness to change and the unknown. In reality-based relationships, partners keep discovering the other. Attraction is where passion starts and how relationships endure. 
I love that definition. A couple places where I see people get stuck. Attraction involves curiosity as well as desire about the physical, emotional, and intellectual traits of others. Right? Attraction cannot be um, secluded to just physical attraction. We have to look at the whole person, the intellectual, the emotional pieces of each other, and be have some attraction to the whole person. If our attraction is strictly based on one element, I'm only physically attracted to this person. That's a problem. I know of a situation right now uh, through my work where this partner of, uh, of one of my clients is in a quote, relationship with someone who doesn't speak the same language they do. So everything that they do is through Google Translate. And while maybe, let's just pretend and say maybe that's working for them. Also, is that, you know, there's also a huge 23-year age difference. But the question to me is, is that attraction to the whole person? If you can't communicate successfully, um, if you're having struggles with getting things getting lost in translation, we have that when people speak the same language. So when you're speaking different languages and you don't speak the same language, are we really attracted to the whole person? Or vice versa, do we let our attraction to the intellectual or the emotional pieces of someone um, act as an excuse for the lack of physical attraction, right? There's got to be attraction on these different levels because he says attraction is where passion starts and how relationships endure. So again, some of the questions to consider on attraction. Are you attracted to healthy, appropriate people? Can you maintain your attraction for a person over time? Are you able to have fantasies and recognize which are appropriate and not appropriate? Are you able to move beyond fantasies and feelings to initiate a relationship with someone to whom you are attracted? If not, you might be stuck in that area or that court, that dimension of courtship. Okay, after noticing an attraction comes this flirtation part. So this is that ability to act on that attraction piece. So this is the definition from the book. Everyone needs to know how to flirt. Successful flirting uses playfulness, seductiveness, and social cues to send signals of interest and attraction to the desirable person. This ability extends to noticing and accurately reading flirtation from others. The critical factor in flirtation is knowing when it is appropriate to send and receive. Success in long-term relationships requires an ongoing flirtation with your partners. Ongoing flirtation with your partners. Now, I've often used the story, you've heard me say, my original therapist told me that I flirt like a predator. And... I've told that story multiple times on the podcast, but essentially I flirt like I, we were, I was explaining an, a situation and it wasn't going well. And anyway, my therapist said, well, Amy, it sounds like what you're doing is a little predatory. Like maybe you flirt like a predator. And I was angry and upset and didn't, you know, didn't, that didn't sit well for me. And then he did go on to explain, like, how did you learn to flirt? Well, I learned to flirt by men that were flirting with me and men that were flirting with me were predators. And so I learned how to flirt in a very predatory way. And I had to change that and I had to fix that. But this is, this is where it came out in this flirtation area 
of, of the book for me. Some of the questions to think about, are you capable of flirting? Do you flirt with appropriate people in inappropriate contexts and places? Do you notice when others are flirting with you? Do you actually read what the other person means by flirting? In an existing relationship, are you continuously flirtatious? So, interestingly enough, I rated myself really high on this when I went to the first time. Um, it's funny because I have two sets of numbers here uh, in the book of, about when I... The sets of numbers are how I rated myself originally by myself. And then the other set of numbers is how I rated myself after I talked to my therapist about this exercise. So the numbers are a little different. It's pretty funny. Okay, so flirtation. Again, this is an area where I think a lot of people get stuck. Um, is just that ability to be playful and seductive in appropriate settings without being predatory, right? So if that's an area for um, work for you, you might want to you might want to seek out some help on there. Okay, the next category is what's called demonstration. So we've done noticing, attraction, flirtation, and now we have demonstration. Sometimes inaccurately described as, quote, showing off, this is where one demonstrates prowess, either a physical trait, skill, or capability. Sexually, this is the classic, I will show you mine and you will show me yours. There is a fact, there is in fact, sorry, there is in fact a pleasure or eroticism in having a potential partner show interest in your sexuality. Behaviors here include demonstrating a skill such as an athletic ability, dressing and attract, dressing to attract the other person, or doing specific sex-related actions to further your, sec your partner's sexual interest. It is important to be aware of what you're doing and that you are being appropriate in the context and to the person. So demonstration, again, has to be, it's basically this demonstration of I'm a successful person. I would be a good catch, right? Not just sexually, but in other ways. There's usually a skill demonstration or a capability demonstration. Um, in high school, this is like the classic, come watch my game, right? Come to my basketball game. Come see me play football. For me, it was like, come watch me play in band because <laughs> I didn't play high school sports. But, you know, other things, right, where we're demonstrating that we're a good catch and we're demonstrating that we have some success and some skills and some capabilities that make us a good partner. Um, but again, it has to be appropriate to the context and the person. So here's some questions to think about. Are you able to attract attention to yourself and show your good qualities and traits? That's demonstration. Are you able to do that sexually as well? Also demonstration. Sexually, are you appropriate with context and age? Are, you, are your sexual behavior specific to a relationship or intended to be noticed by just anyone? So for instance, if you're in a relationship, are you keeping that demonstration within that relationship or are you showing off for everyone, um, hoping to attract anyone, right? That's, that's inappropriate because you're in a committed relationship. Or here's another, the opposite of this is, are you a tease, which means you're wanting attention with no intent to actually connect with someone. So I think that that's a, a great place to think about how your behaviors 
may be hurting you or may be harming your relationships. Um, both if you're in a committed relationship, are you keeping that demonstration within that relationship? Um, are you continually demonstrating within that relationship your capabilities and your skills that keep your partner attracted to you by demonstrating those skills? So, and if you're not in a relationship, do you know how to use demonstration to show your skills um, and and show that you're a good a good partner, a good match? Okay, those are the first four. Noticing, attraction, flirtation, demonstration. After those four things comes romance. Cue like the, you know, cute romance music. Okay, here is the, um, the definition from the book. This is the ability to experience, express, and receive passion. Romance assumes the ability to be aware of all the feelings of attraction, vulnerability, and risk. More important, a lover must be able to express them and have sufficient self-worth to accept the expressions of care from a lover as true. Included in romance is the ability to test the reality of the feelings. Is what is perceived in the other person accurate or merely a projection of what you want to exist? Are the people selected consistently positive or bad choices for you? So romance, the ability to experience, express, and receive passion. I would, I would ask you to kind of think about that in your relationships. Where it, What side of that equation is difficult for you, expressing or receiving? I know for me personally, the ex, well, it's both. I, I really have struggled in both to express and receive passion. I think we can get stuck in this phase when, um, when we look for what we sometimes call like a cosmic lover, um, someone, and it, we kind of romance this idea that someone's going to come and rescue us and be our everything and take care of us because that's not reality. Um, and so we kind of get stuck in that romanticized idea of what a partner can be rather than, you know, sit in reality. One of the questions here, included in romance is the ability, or one of the statements, included in romance is the ability to test the reality of the feelings. So we have to be able to talk about like, are you feeling what I'm feeling, right? Are, is this an accurate, you know, is what I'm feeling an accurate, uh, is accurate based on, you know, how you're feeling? Right. We have to have that ability to go back and forth and understand it can't be all in our head. Um, there's got to be back and forth in that in that ability. Some of the questions to think about. Can you clearly express how important the other person is by using your feelings? <laughs> Do you feel passion when attracted to another person? Are the people you select consistently inappropriate for you? Do you romanticize your partners so that they are not who you thought that they were? Interesting to me, as I'm reading this right now in the workbook, are the people you select consistently inappropriate for you? And in my mind, I was like, yes. Historically, that has been true, that the people I select are consistently inappropriate for me. But in this book, I wrote, no, it's, that's like a little bit of delusion right there that I wasn't picking people that were inappropriate. But as I look back now over my romantic relationships, except for the last several years, um, I was always 
picking people that were inappropriate for me. So that's our, our category of romance. So that's our first five categories. Number six. So after noticing attraction, flirtation, demonstration, and romance, number six is what we call individuation. Individuation. In the midst of the romance, healthy persons are able to be true to themselves. They feel absolutely free to be who they are. They feel no fear of disapproval or control by the other. They tell the truth and do not feel intimidated. They do not have to give on important matters. They can ask needs to be met and they do not have to defer to the other. They trust that people care for them as they are. That is what we call individuation in relationships. That is super hard for me personally. I tend to lose myself in relationships. In fact, I rated myself a one and my therapist confirmed for me that I was a one. And I, I just wrote, in a romantic relationship, I'm consistently and constantly worried about rejection. And so most often defer to what they want or think we should do until I can't stand it anymore. And then I cut my losses and move on. Or I become cold and distant emotionally. So individuation is was hard for me, was super hard for me at the beginning. Um, one of the some of the questions: Are you able to be yourself in a relationship? Do you worry about the other person's approval too much? Do you defer to them? Are you able to express your needs effectively? Do you feel that you are giving in or that you let the other person take over? So I definitely know that for me, I, I had a hard time, especially in, um, acting out relationships where I, I mean, I, I mean, I was, I was trying to find a real relationship. <laughs> I, I look back at those now and I call them acting out relationships, but in the moments they didn't feel like that to me. I felt like I was trying to actually find a real relationship, but I couldn't hold on to myself. Once I got into a relationship, I, I would lose myself. Um, I think I've told you about the story where it was my first dating relationship actually in recovery. And I thought it was going so well, so, so well. And, uh, and then we broke up, uh, for lots of reasons. Uh, but a few months later, that's not the important part. The important part is a few months later, uh, we worked, uh, in the same area of the town and we were, it was lunch and I was out just walking to a restaurant and, um, he was too, and we saw each other in the crosswalk, and he stopped me and was like, how are you? And we went to lunch together, actually, and we just kind of caught up about things, and at towards the end, he asked me if I was dating anyone, and I wasn't at the time, and I asked him the same question, and he was, and he told me a little bit about her, and he was excited about the relationship, and kind of where it was headed, and those types of things, and I was trying to be really gracious and express lots of support, even though I was a little sad or maybe a lot sad. And, uh, but one of the things he said to me after kind of talking about it, he turned to me and said, you know, you're prettier than she is. You're smarter than she is. Uh, you're better with my kids than she was, than she is. But Amy, with you, I never knew where I stood. I never knew what was going on between us. I never knew if you were enjoying your time or if you were mad. I, I just, I never knew I could never read you. 
And uh, with her, I always know where I stand. I always know how she's feeling. I always know if she's, you know, what's going on for her. And I'll tell you, it felt like a slap in the face for in the moment. And uh, I had to leave pretty quickly so that I didn't cry. And I didn't want to cry in front of him. And at the same time, I'm so incredibly grateful for that feedback because he, he's absolutely, he was absolutely accurate in his perception of our relationship. I could not hold on to who I was in a relationship. Um, I would lose that. And I didn't have that ability, like in romance, to express my feelings of attraction in ways that were clear. Now, did I think I was? I totally thought I was, um, but I, I wasn't. And so it was a really good lesson for me and something I've, I've really had to work and learn on. So those are the first six uh, dimensions of courtship. Noticing, attraction, flirtation, demonstration, romance, and individuation. Okay. Now, I wasn't planning on this being two-part, but I'm realizing that we're going to have to make it two-part because we're already at our, at our time today. So in our next episode, very next episode, we will talk about the following six dimensions of courtship, part two. <clears throat> These dimensions include intimacy, touching, foreplay, intercourse, commitment, and renewal. All of those things are different. Intimacy, touching, foreplay, intercourse, commitment, and renewal. The next six dimensions of courtship. So I hope this is helpful for you today. Like I said, this is this is just a small four or five, six pages in this workbook by Dr. Patrick Carnes that I think does not get enough attention, especially as we are contemplating the relationships in our life or getting further into recovery and want to get out there and have a new relationship. How do we know what where are where we need to work on our skill set? So I hope that's been helpful today. We're, we'll do the next six in our next episode. Um, I just want you to remember, no matter where you are today, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how far you think you are from actual courtship, because let me tell you, like I didn't have a score above three. So uh, I, I feel you. I feel you on that. Um, no matter how far you think you are from actual relationships, no matter how many relationships you think you screwed up in the past, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. You are worth it, worth the effort to learn and to work on these skills so that you can have the relationship that you want. Because in my mind, that is the actual goal of recovery, right? The actual goal of recovery is not just to never be sexual or to not have, you know, to have sobriety. That's one of the goals. Sobriety is one of the goals because you need to figure out healthy sexuality. But remember that sex addiction falls under that intimacy disorder um, umbrella. It's one of those things where everything that has to do with relationships is going to be distorted on some level when you have a sex addiction. And so you have to learn all of these new relationship skills and the, in my mind, you know, the end goal of recovery and the end goal of sex addiction is that you can have amazing relationships, relationships that include renewal, that include romance and individuation, that you can be yourself in a relationship, that you can, 
function in ways that are helpful and that your partnership becomes something that's incredibly valuable to you. That's, that's the goal of recovery. That's the goal of recovery. So I got distracted there for a moment. So no matter how far you think you are off that course, no matter how distorted you feel like your relationships have been, you are worth recovery. You're worth the effort it takes to learn these skills, to be able to have those amazing relationships in your life. So join us next time as we continue on these dimensions of courtship and finish, finish that out. And remember that I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, amen. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.